on 1116 SEN, The Four Diego's. Okay, amigos, and welcome to The Four Diego's here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Big Wednesday night for you tonight. Uh, thanks to Finey on another great show and the boys from the GBU crew on uh, every Wednesday night from 10 just before the Diego's. Welcome, Rodrigo Rodriguez with you. Warren Diego's in the studio as well and so is Carlos Alberto Diego. Boys, it's been a big week. Yeah, we're in... missing one. Well, we are missing one. I was going to get to that. Where is he anyway? He's in the missionary. I mean, <laughs> he's, where is he? He's um, Mission Beach. Yeah, Mission Beach. He's, on, he's put in for long service leave. Well, he got it, got it approved by well, Carlos, of course. Yeah, Carlos has been he's generous. Sabbatical. He's given him, him two weeks off. Yeah, he gets half pay. <laughs> he's long service leave. It's lead. a sabbatical for him. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, uh, Vinny Venezuela will be back in a couple of weeks' time having a well-earned break. He's a handsome Diego, and a lot of old chickadees out there. My mum disagrees with you. Really? Yeah. Who's, who does she reckon say? son? Warren. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're at best rugged and handsome. <laughs> That's right. At best. That's right. Vinny's a handsome one. And if you want to know who is the handsome one, we don't shy away from this whole thing about be, having good heads variety. Get on the 4diegos.com, <laughs> yes. and as soon as you get to the homepage, you'll see the four noggins. Yes. And yes. Uh, you can actually, maybe that should be the hot topic of night. Who is the ha- most handsome oh, Diego? <laughs> actually, Carlos, I was meaning to say, I think... We're slightly overexposed on the website. Just Are very we? Lightly. No, just the hit people between slightly the eyes. Anyway. And, and you didn't put the photo I wanted you to put on of me either. <laughs> but anyway. There's not too many options there, Ron. Exactly. Just, just quietly. Hey, we've got a big show for you tonight. We've got Mike McGrath from The Sun in the UK coming up and also a special interview with mm. uh, Roy Hay, the co-author of A History of Football in Australia. Looking forward to talking to him. He'll be talking about... Uh, you know, obviously, football um, knockout competitions. We'll be talking about what is uh, what what makes this beautiful game of yeah. ours, and uh, we'll also be we'll also be talking about some fantastic uh, stuff that's been going on in the FFA Cup as well. So, yeah, of course, everyone everyone's fallen in love with the FFA Cup, but yeah. Australian football has had a long history of these knockout competitions. And Roy, I cannot wait. I had, I had a nice little coffee with Roy. Yeah. Actually, he had the coffee. I had a black tea. Did you pay? Yeah, I paid. Good. I paid. Okay, the good. Diego's... Uh, because he's way, giving could... us a book. He's he... giving a, us a book to give away. Absolutely. And the least you could do was pay for his, <laughs> uh, for his cappuccino. Absolutely. And uh, on, the, on the back of, uh, of uh, Roy coming on very, very soon, talking about all those fantastic cup competitions over the years, our hot topic tonight, now yeah. it's a very broad one, but it gives us the opportunity to not be too complicated, not too convoluted about things. What is your greatest moment in Australian football history? This is on the back of Jeez. this fantastic book... Uh, that Roy Hay is allowing us to give away to our listeners tonight. And how do they, by the way, how can our listeners get a hold of this book, uh, Rodders? Well, they can go to the 4diegos.com website. That's our website. And, you know, <laughs> while you're looking at those wonderful photos of all of us, <laughs> make sure you go there because you can subscribe to our newsletter. And by doing so, you can win a history of football in Australia by Roy Hay and Bill Murray. So do it now. Get on the website, 4diegos.com. Subscribe to our Newsletter, yes, which we're going to put a lot of effort into. Absolutely, it's going to be a show every month. For <laughs> Absolutely, you. go to 4diegos.com and once you subscribe, you go into the draw to win uh, Roy Hay and Bill Murray's book, A History of Football in Australia. It's an absolute beauty. And uh, sorry, and, and don't forget the hot topic is what is your greatest moment in Australian football history? Very broad. But uh, I'm sure we've got some good ones coming up. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen is the number for the hot topic warrant. This book is a coffee table book. I'm always am- amused at how big a book has to become for it to become a coffee table book. Now this one's you could call Seinfeld? it, but this is a labour of love. Mm. It's Roy a labour of love book. Roy and uh, and Bill 
labour of love. And that's what I love about uh, it. Are we able to offer ours before we, uh, the <laughs> listeners? No, no I, I can honestly say, I can honestly say that before John Aloisi's goal for the Socceroos yep. against Uruguay, the thing that sticks most in my mind is Charlie Yankos's goal yeah, against Argentina at Hindmarsh Stadium. No, no, it was, was it the Bison? No, no, it was it, it was, was in Adelaide. The, I'm sure, it was in Sydney. It was in Sydney. Oh. and Martin Tyler called the goal. Yes, right. And it was the Bicentennial Cup. Yeah, that's right against Argentina. It was a Mar- By the way, it was an, a, they were reigning world champions at the time, but Maradona didn't come along. I reckon and that was they my. Had, they had everyone else. That was my best best memory. Mine was the coming together of Kevin Musket and uh, John Cosmina. <laughs> was it? Yeah. yeah, that was that was just. Oh, I just that could have just disintegrated something uh, chronic. But uh, Ricky Diaco scoring for victory is one SMS's. Uh, <laughs> that got me going. You know, it wasn't actually on the field, even though I had some fantastic moments uh, over the years following the Socceroos. But you know. I remember sitting there with Vinny, and I think uh, you boys were there too, when uh, in the uh, inversion two mm-hmm. of the A-League, and we were sitting there, it was Melbourne victory versus Sydney FC at Etihad Stadium. There were 52,000 yes. people there. Yeah. It was the worst game that they could have ever put on, you know, on for this 52,000, but... I remember when we were at the old uh, NSL games. Remember we were there sitting there and we'd get 1,500 people there at Summer Street or something, or 2,000 people. They got more there last night than we no, saw. It's true. And we were sitting there and we're thinking, how are we ever going to get anywhere near AFL uh, size attendances? And we were sitting there, you know, 10 years later, you know, and, uh, and suddenly we got 50,000 for a club game at Etihad Stadium. Again, it was a pretty ordinary game that night, but it was. An amazing moment that yeah, I can remember. It was amazing. And, Carlos, uh, I think you've started something. Uh, people going to the website of 4diegos.com. Uh, Lucas from Greenvale. Had a look, lads. I'll tell you one thing. Baggy jeans out, straight leg jeans <laughs> in. Get with the fashion. Yeah, Ronners likes the baggy jeans. Yeah, yeah. I had the, uh, what do you call them, the, uh, the uh, straight leg. Is it straight leg? Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I... Yeah, don't have uh, much to do with fashion, just quietly. <laughs> as you'll as you'll see if you go to fordiegos.com and subscribe to our newsletter. But anyway, um, here's another one. Greatest thing in Australian football history would have been the formation of the A-League and how many people is brought uh, over to football from the other codes through good promotion. That's Rob in Footscray. Thanks very much. The night Archie Thompson scored five goals yeah. in the grand yep. final from yep. uh, Brian in Footscray. That was pretty um, momentous. For our, obviously, you're listening at this time of night. You're very passionate about the game. Or you're just in the car and you've got... No other channel to switch to, but if, if you're li- if you're listening right now, you love the game, and if you love the game, you're most likely a supporter from the old NSL days too, because you know you're a person that's lived through it all. Tell us if there was any any moment in the NSL days where you felt it was the greatest football yeah, moment, because we always talk about the A League, but we saw we saw some spectacular moments in uh, in the old NSL. You were there at the. Um the Perth Glory Wollongong Wolves Grand oh, yeah. Final. What a fantastic game that was! And it went to penalties, and uh, I think uh, Perth were three 0 up at yes, one stage, correct. and they ended up uh, drawing three all. Went to extra time. Uh, it was forty two thousand people again. It was one of those moments, you know, that we would never never thought we'd ever see, and that's why Perth was sort of the almost the beacon of the game at that time. And uh, then it went to penalties, and. Uh, a very young Lubo Milicevic was playing for Perth Glory in those days too, and he had a great game too. Uh, yeah, great moments, and uh, and the, you know, but in the old NSL, I mean, I still remember Simon Closmo for Carlton, and again in front of fifteen hundred people there at uh, Vizzy Park now, Princess, the old Princess Park, and uh, and I remember him getting the ball twice in the game. I think it was against Canberra. 
picked it up in his own half. He was a sweeper, dribbled four or five players and slotted away goals. He did that twice in one game. And you know, moments like that really stick with him. Absolutely. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen is the hot topic. What is your greatest moment in Australian football history? Wide, broad topic there, Carlos, yeah. but um, getting some really good text messages, which we'll come back to a little bit later on. But let's, uh, let's talk about the FFA Cup, and there were some uh, interesting games last night. The, the big one in Sydney was Sydney FC uh, versus Sydney United. Uh, the A-League team got through 3-1 in the end, but it was a plucky Sydney United, I thought, and uh, yeah, it was good, good that it was good to watch, actually. It was, yeah, no, it was uh, a good game, and yeah. I think there were 8,000 people there. And you know, sometimes, I think the Sydney FC fans... They demonstrated a real passion for their team. I mean, obviously, the uh, Sydney United fans are really passionate. And the, the one thing, though, I watched that whole game going, gee, the pitch is in good, Nick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did I. I did Weird. too. I've got to say, I did the too. The part-time curator's doing I, I a great job. I said to my job. wife, we were watching, and I said to my wife, Gee, that pitch looks fantastic. Oh. She go, I said, it's got to be an artificial pitch. And she goes, no, no. Can you see the way it's been mowed? It's been yeah, mowed in those parallel perfect. lines, yeah, yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, for sure they they won't they won't mow an artificial pitch." Man, I thought there should. I I actually will say, I was by myself. I said, <laughs> I said self, That's there should be a delegation of ANZ Stadium people here because that pitch is absolutely. <laughs> what are they doing over there? Doing? But anyway, um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was really good to watch um, Mark Rudan up against uh, you know his uh, his old sparring partner, of course, and Adelaide United defeated uh, Brisbane Raw two nil which was interesting, and uh, St Albans Saints, uh, they lost 4-1 to Perth Glory, and Palm Beach Sharks defeated uh, the the plucky, South the Springvale 1-0 yeah. with an 83-minute goal. I'll tell you that of, besides Victory, who have been cutting a sway through this tournament, Perth Glory have actually been going okay, and I'm not saying there's any prediction to um, how they're going to go, but I will have a bit of a dig at Graham Arnold, like, after the game, he was interviewed, and it was like, oh, yeah, this is just a practice match, and we're just worried about round one. Now, I, for a time, I know that a professional coach has got to have that professional speak, but, you know, it was an opportunity for Graham Arnold to go, you know, it was a great game, it was a great atmosphere, really proud of my players, really excited that we're in the semifinals of the FFA Cup, you know, rather so, than, so what oh, was wrong? you know, so what was wrong? we're just preparing for round one. Oh. <laughs> He's a coach. He's got pressures, Warren. This, again, this is why you'll never coach at the top level because you don't understand. You just don't understand. He's a coach. He's got problems mm. in that side. The enormous expectations uh. he's got on him. I mean, the young kid, Normoff, Chris yeah, Normoff. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't talk it up, of, Graham. Yeah, great of, goals. A couple of downtowners from a kid. I for me, he won was, their Young Player of the Year last he? season. Oh, yes, apparently, he did. apparently, you know, I'm thinking maybe he's had a good night. But uh, was it Robbie Slater was talking about the fact that he did it regularly in the youth team? So yes. this kid's, uh, you know, scores goals he from was, downtown for fun. He was suited by the artificial pitch. Ooh. Is everyone on Sydney's list of forward? Yeah, by the time <laughs> you chuck in Smelts, a beanie, yeah. um, well, this bloke, Normoff, no, yeah, uh, Corey yeah. Uh, Gamero, Gamari, and then you, you chuck and, in. Um, uh, Yanko, Yanko the, yes. the, the Austrian uh, yeah, forward. Yeah, they look who, good to me, Sydney. I mean, I, I, nah, not, they, not, they've done nothing yet. They look okay. <laughs> Nobody's they've done, done nothing They've done nothing. <laughs> they've done nothing. I won't even pronounce the word properly. They've nah, done nothing. nothing. But talk it up, Graham, will you? Be excited nah. by the fact you're in the semi-final of the FFA Cup. I mean, you've done nothing. Sydney <laughs> have done nothing. I mean, <laughs> there might be a final that you're actually able to play in. So be happy and celebrate. 
We'll talk more about the FFA Cup and the uh, next uh, the quarterfinal fixtures a little bit later on. And uh, Carlos Paul in your Lambie just says it all, really. Your heads don't do justice to your voices. <laughs> Please explain. No, well, um, that was the, that was the issue. That's why I really didn't want you to send to send people to, to look at our photos. <laughs> but anyway, go to fordiegos dot com because if you do and you subscribe to our e newsletter, that's an e newsletter. Yes. We won't mail you no. one via you know Australia Post. No. Um, you can win a fantastic book written by a man we're just about to interview, Roy Hay, and uh, his mate um, Bill Murray. It's a history of football in Australia. It is a fantastic book. So get to the website, fordiegos.com. Roy has been absolutely generous enough to donate a book after Carlos bought him a coffee. <laughs> and uh, he joins us now on the Four Diegos. Welcome to the show, Roy. Thanks, gentlemen. Yes, it's great to have you again. It's Rodrigo Rodriguez. We've yep. got Warren Diego and Carlos Alberto Diego. Hey, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for uh, giving our listeners the opportunity to... Uh, to get your book uh, by just going to our website. Thank well, you. thank you for the plug, gentlemen. It's much appreciated. Uh, there are, uh, are no copies left in the warehouse, so they're all in the shop somewhere, and uh, they tell me it's becoming a collector's item already. So. Fantastic. Uh, Roy, it's Carlos. Uh, look, I, mate, me and you could just talk for a couple of hours like we did the other day about all the fantastic moments of, of Australian football over the years. But uh, we're, all, we're all so, so excited about the FFA Cup and uh, people are saying how brilliant it is. But we've had some really good cup competitions over the years. Can you, can you take us back to the earliest one, the earliest knockout sudden death romantic cup that this country's had? Yeah, I mean, uh, and it goes all the way back because, um, and you've got to blame the Scots for this because <laughs> they actually presented the first um, cup trophy for competition and it was for the, the other code. It was uh, for Australian rules. Um, way back in the 18, early 1860s, um, the Caledonian Society was having its usual New Year's Day uh, extravaganza at the MCG, and they put up a Challenge Cup for footy. Um, now, Challenge Cups are, are the ones where the holder um, holds the cup until they're beaten by an opponent. Um, so, and the FA Cup in England, which started in 1872, um, it was the same. So that for the first couple of rounds, it wasn't really a knockout competition as, as we know it. Um, what happened was that Wanderers won the first FA Cup, and they held it. Um, the following year, all the other clubs played against each other, and the winner of that got to challenge, and that's where the Challenge Cup came from, uh, got to challenge Wanderers. So it wasn't in, really until the third iteration of the FA Cup that they started, uh, Wanderers came in uh, to the general competition and we had the beginnings of what we would now call knockout competitions. And, and we started those in Australia in the 1880s. In, in um, Melbourne, we had the Beanie Cup, we had the George and George Cup. Um, New South Wales, they had the Gardner Cup. Um, in uh, the Southern Highlands, they had the Atkinson Price Trophy or the Duaja Cup um, from the village of Duaja. And that is probably the oldest extant trophy. The Duaja Cup is still there. Um, and, and this was, you know, was defended um, by the miners 
in the southern highlands and uh, so some of the Sydney sides would have to travel down taking a, a day's march to get there and then they'd come up against this tough mining team um, and get beaten. So we, we've, we've had knockout competitions going way back to the 1880s. Now, uh, yep, now sure. sorry, Roy, I was just going to say, if um, Bob Carr can sell 11,500 copies of Diary of a, of a Foreign Minister, this book should sell 30,000 <laughs> copies just very quietly. We know, we know that cup competitions like this are built on upsets. And, I mean, I think yeah. we remember upsets. Are there any upsets or great results of games that you can recall because to me that's what makes these competitions unique from the the week-to-week competitions that we see absolutely and um remember we we the the first um nationwide competition for uh, a cup was also called the australia cup and that began in 1962 um as soon as the uh, Australia, the new Australian Soccer Federation came into being. Um, Henry Siemens, who was the president, put up this idea of having an Australia-wide uh, knockout competition. Now, um, and, and that meant that you had the big uh, Sydney and um, and uh, Melbourne teams taking part. Um, and, and if you like, one one of the big upsets was was when Slavia um, beat. Uh, Apia in in the the, the final. Um, this was a team that really wasn't expected to do very well indeed. Um, but I'm reminded of another event. Um, overnight, we got the news that uh, Liverpool had beaten um, Middlesbrough on on penalties, and it had gone to I, I think what was it, 14, 30. 15 penalties per side. Yeah, twenty nine in total. Yeah, was the winning. Well, would you believe in 1965 the the final of the Australia Cup was between Hakoa in Sydney and Apia, and they took penalties in groups of five, and they'd gone through 15 aside, um, and it was still even. Um, and so they decided they would have a replay after that. So we actually had more penalty kicks in that final than uh, this one between Liverpool and uh, and Middlesbrough. That's amazing, mate. Isn't it? Yeah, the one that I remember, obviously, you know, I didn't live in the nineteen in the eighteen sixties or anything like. That, but the one, no, that, I missed uh, that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would have witnessed that live there, Roy. But uh, with the with the one I remember is the Ampol Cup of the seventies, eighties. Especially the probably the late seventies, and I remember as a kid, Dad taking me to Olympic Park, and it was always because it was a summer competition. Mm. Uh, it was just always a beautiful night, and the players would just be, you know, uh, they would have gone through a whole preseason. They're looking tan. They all looked really, really quick. What was the standard? of that football like compared to what we've seen in the NSL, uh, which came a few years later, and the uh, the A-League that's being played now. Was there that much difference? Because those players look fantastic in those days. Yeah, I, and, and, and some of them were. I mean, the, the, the guys that um, we had playing in those competitions um, had a sprinkling of, you know, overseas uh, superstars, people like Leo Baumgartner, the little professor of soccer, uh, Mike or Schell de Brucker, uh, the, the, a Dutch international of, uh, you know, immense quality, 
Um, I mean, there's still a stand at uh, Willem Twee in Holland that's named after Mike de Broker. I mean, that was the kind of level of, of player you had taking part in these competitions, along with a mixture of, of kids who had grown up in this country. And uh, so, the, uh, uh, okay, perhaps the games were a little bit slower than nowadays, where you've really got a bunch of super athletes taking part. But the skill levels were extraordinarily high. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, as you said, they're, uh, they're trained to the nth degree today. So, um, hey, just before we let you go, where, where can our listeners uh, get your, your book, uh, you know, um, A History of Football in Australia? Well, the the, um, the ABC shops, I still I think, still have some. Uh, Dimax have some. Uh, and um, the, the big chain stores, um, like Big W and Kmart, you might find an odd one there, um, probably discounted in, in these shops. But uh, beyond that, um, you know, I think my good friend uh, Santo at Melbourne Sportsbooks might have one or two left. Um, but it's really... Um, I, I'm, I think it's an initiative test for your um, your listeners to find copies nowadays. The shortcut, Roy, is to get on the website, yes. the Fort Diego's website. website. That's right. Subscribe for the newsletter, which is just entertainment plus for every one of our listeners. I out haven't there. contributed yet. No, have you I? haven't. But uh, but uh, that's your best way of getting it. Uh, if you're a bit lazy, you don't want to go around to the shops and yeah. uh, have a crack at uh, maybe getting one through the Diego's. Yep, good stuff. Absolutely. Hey, Roy, thanks for your time and uh, continued good luck with the book. And uh, we love we love your uh, your words around this this beautiful game. Thanks well, for your time. Uh, can I just reinforce what you were saying? I, I think the competition we have nowadays for the Australia Cup, which is using virtually a replica of the one that used in the 1960s, um, that was... Um, it seems to me that this this competition has really caught the imagination of people, um, and I think FFA has learned from the past with its structured draw that ensures that some of the federation clubs are going to get to the semi-final, which I think is fantastic, and they've also helped to contribute to transport costs for clubs playing interstate and so on. So I think... We've learned a lot from past cup competitions, and like you, I think Graham Arnold has to remember that he's promoting the game as well as um, trying to win the game um, and, and, uh, and back up what the efforts that FFA is making behind this new competition. Totally agree, Roy, and uh, thanks for your time tonight. As always, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, gentlemen. There's Roy Hay, the author of A History of Football in Australia, and uh, always good to talk to a man who's been through it and uh, you know, has written a fantastic book. He was there from day one, I yeah. think, uh, in the 1860s, but I uh, had a fantastic time with him uh, the other day uh, over a bit of a coffee and talking about all sorts of things. But, uh, of course, a hot topic tonight is what is your greatest moment in Australian football history? And I've just got one via, I don't know, it's one of the social media formats, but uh, what's, what's the pages, the manager pages now on? Is that Facebook? It must be Facebook. This one's from Marcus McPherson. The low point was, that goal Adrian Alston uh, scored or not scored 
Uh, later to play with uh, Luton Town, missed in the final group game against Chile in West Germany, 1974. Could have been the first man to score for Australia in a World Cup. Uh, my total high point was being in Germany when Timmy Cale, then at Everton, got that first one, and the Socceroos exploded. I've got a. I reckon the the one that was the, probably the lowest point for me was when Branko Buljevic mm. in that game against Chile hit the upright. With a shot that could have been a goal, and that could have got us the first three points in uh, World Cup history. There you go. We're talking low points as Ned well. Ned Zelich's goal from oh, the yes. byline yes. in the under it was, uh, it was the uh, Olympic Olympic um, Olympic qualifiers against the Dutch side. Yes. If you go through those Over names, in Holland. if you go through those names of that Dutch side, didn't know any of them at the time, but they all went on to play. Uh, in really high-level Dutch teams, all those guys, and Ned Zalic was clearly the best player on the park that night or that day. He scored from the byline. Oh, fantastic. He scored two goals that day. Yes. His first one was almost better than the second one. Let's take a break now um, and come back with more of the Diego's right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. On 1116 SEN, the four Diego's. Yes, we're here on a Wednesday night as always, and uh, interesting night so far. We were speaking with Roy Hay, the author, co-author of A History of Football in Australia, and uh, you can pick up that book by simply subscribing to the Diego's e-newsletter at 4diegos.com. Get onto it, because uh, that e-newsletter is going to be a whole lot of fun, and uh, there's going to be... Uh, Obviously, some some uh, tidbits from Warren, Vinny Venezuela. And great giveaways, too. And great giveaways as well. So make sure you get there and you can uh, pick up that book, which is very, very good reading, we can assure you. I was just going to say, there'll be a, yeah, there'll be a monthly Liverpool contribution for all our <laughs> listeners. There you go. Uh, John There's in, a guy in Port Melbourne. John, John in Port Melbourne. Uh, might He'll be not, signing uh, up, won't might, he? If he's already subscribed, he might unsubscribe. He's, uh, <laughs> like a copy of on the proviso, there is no Warren Liverpool content. Oh, he's That's referring harsh. to the book anyway. So no, but there'll there's be definitely there. no Warren Liverpool content. The hot topic tonight was, what is your greatest moment in Australian football history? Getting some great text messages. One very straightforward one. The first Melbourne derby from... Uh, Brian in Footscray, yeah, watching Footscray, J-U-S-T, yep. and uh, watching Oscar Crino weave ah. his magic. Also the derby against Melbourne, Croatia, although it was scary sometimes. And um, here's another one before we go to Mike McGrath, Sam in Parkdale. I'd say Liverpool coming out to play victory and pulling yeah. a lazy 97,000 at the G. How many, Re- Carlos? Uh, well, I was 36,000 out. Yeah. <laughs> really exposed football on the national stage and showed that the A-League and football in general can stay on par with and even overtake the AFL and the NRL. So there you go. Thank you very much, Sam in Parkdale. We'll get through some of your other text messages as well a little bit later on. But let's go to the UK and catch up with our man on the ground there, Mike McGrath. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Good to speak to you. Yes, it's Rodrigo. You've got uh, Warren Diego and Carlos. It might, we might only be kissing our sister in the Capital One Cup, Mike, but tell you what, kissing our sister never got more enjoyable than what it did last night. That penalty shootout, the Liverpool-Middlesbrough penalty shootout, it was exciting for a whole lot of reasons. Not the least, the number of clinical finishes after the first few well, misses. Well, what were the numbers, quite, right? There, there were, four, there it was was 30, 14-13 yep. after a two-all draw. Correct. There were 30 kicks, of which 27 hit the back of the net. And after the after Daniel... Actually, after Raheem Sterling missed that could have won Liverpool the game, I think at about 5-4, there wasn't one missed until the last <laughs> penalty. It was quite amazing. Yeah, it was great technique as well. They weren't flukes. They were they were really good penalty kicks. You know, England, obviously, we're not exactly uh, world-renowned for. 
Um, and I thought so I thought some of them were fantastic. Right in, you know, Balotelli probably shows you really how to do it with the way he takes penalties. Uh, but it's a real nerveless finishing, and, and I think uh, Rogers probably had every right to be pleased with his, uh, with the, especially the youngsters who who managed to keep him in that in that shootout. Now, Mike, it's Carlos. Uh, everyone's talking about the kicks and the fact that you know the twenty-seven went in out of the thirty. But how bad were the keepers? Really, did they get anywhere near any of those kicks, the keepers? Not really, but <laughs> I don't think you could really lay blame on them. I, I thought that. Uh, Mignolet, there was one where um, there was a uh, there, there was a player who took one and it, it didn't have a great amount of pace on it, and I think Mignolet was was pretty upset, you know, pretty upset with himself for not keeping it out. But apart from that, they were all um, they were all real kind of blasts into the top corner or right into the side netting. Um, and the key, I, I really don't think it was the fact that the keepers were poor in it. I think I think it was some some really good nerveless uh, shooting. Now, Mike, um, I'm looking for you to comment on my team and another reasonably high-profile team. Got up, watched the first 14 minutes of West Ham Liverpool, and really <laughs> went to bed after that, not feeling that comfortable about myself. But strangely, I felt so much better 24 hours later as I watched the last 10 minutes of the Leicester Man U game. Give me an insight into the issues for both those teams at the moment because the thing about Man U that's interesting me, even their own, I think Phil Neville's come out and said that it's going to co- it's going to take another, I don't know, £100 million to get Manchester United in shape. Where do you see the both, both those teams at the moment? Well, I think um, Liverpool have probably... Yeah, Man U have got the most more apparent problems, but I think Liverpool do have... You know, some pretty big issues there. Um, I think firstly, it's getting the right team out. Um, you know, last season you could pretty much name the team, um, whereas this year Rodgers has got uh, the Champions League to kind of prepare for as well. I, you know, he, he's got most things right, but I don't think he's got uh, the use of Raheem Sterling quite right yet. Uh, and the other one is with them is the fact that last season, you know, as well as he could name the team, he could also name the fact that. Steven Gerrard was pretty much going to run the games. And I think Aston Villa kind of showed you how to do it. You know, if you stick stick a man marker on, on Steven Gerrard, it's very difficult for him to dictate games. So he's going to have to find some other way of getting himself kind of around the pitch, but also, you know, and, and also having that central role. It, it's difficult for him at the moment. And a lot of debate over here. I think United, um, the... The overwhelming kind of problem they've got is in defence. You know, they've got absolutely nothing nothing left now. Michael Carrick might have to come back from injury and play for them. So that's that's where their problems lie, really. Two quite different problems for uh, two massive clubs. Mike, have we caught you halfway through a marathon? Are you, are you OK? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm trying to walk through traffic at the moment, so... Uh, I'm trying to find a quiet spot to speak to you, but oh, no, it's difficult like, in it, London. No, we like to know yeah. what you're doing at the. Well, when you're I think to one us. of the early shows we did many, many years ago when you first as a as a trainee Diego over there, you were running from tube uh, oh, train to funny. tube train, which yes. was quite funny at different times. But that's uh, right, yeah, yeah. Mike, um, including a few training sessions <laughs> on the way. As it's well. true. It's true. Now, Mike, uh, are you willing to make the call now? I made the call on Twitter yes, uh, over the weekend. Uh, after the West Ham, my team, which I don't usually talk about, but this week I will because they beat 
uh, Liverpool quite comprehensively 3-1. Comfortably, yes. Absolutely. Uh, and West Ham are a poor team. Now, even after this time, I don't look at the ladder till after Christmas, so I'm willing to make the call now that Liverpool will not win the EPL title this season. Do you concur? I probably agree with that. Yeah. I think they've got a lot of... Um... They've got a lot of things to sort out, and I think if they finish in the top four, it'd be great. And if they have a decent run in the Champions League, they should be able to get out of that group, even though Real Madrid are in it. They should be able to get out of it. I think that would be uh, a decent season for them. I don't think there'd be any complaints with that at all. But I just think to replicate what they did last season without Suarez, all these players coming in fresh, I I just think it's probably going to be beyond them this season. Mike, one thing I do want to comment on is Southampton. I think um, as much as they lost, well, it's pretty well documented, the players they lost, almost Ronald Koeman is a guy that if there was any manager that was going to be able to get something out of that team because of his experience, far better than going for an inexperienced manager or somebody that hadn't you know, had the expertise in Europe that what he had, is this a flash in the pan or can you see them being able to maintain the standard that they've set early in the season? Because it certainly hasn't been a one-game wonder. From that first game against Liverpool in that second half in particular, they've been consistently good. And And they've lost all these players over the summer too. Yeah, and they've continued it in all competitions. Yeah, I've got to admit, I'm probably one of the many that's expecting them to just fall away at the moment. But they're really... um... They've had a great start to the season, and we don't really know too much about Koeman as a boss, really. We, we obviously know the name, and he's, he's stuck the knife in England um, when we failed to qualify for the World Cup in 94. So we know him as a, as a player and as a villain, but as a manager, not too much. And, and so far, he's, got, he, you know, he's, he's got, got his team playing really well. I mean, I don't know enough about him to say this is definitely going to carry on, and they're going to they're going to be in and around it. Um, but it's been a great start. I think, you know, I'm probably, if I get proved wrong, then, you know, that's fine. But I, I do expect them to be more mid-table now, which is still an improvement on, on the start of the season when I, I honestly thought they'd be one of the three to go down. Hey, Mike, while we've got you, we've uh, got Woody on uh, on the line, wants to talk about um, Arsenal's forwards. He's from Kilsyth. Welcome to the show, Woody. Yeah, good evening, lads. How you going? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, you want to talk about Arsenal? You can actually direct any comment to Mike, yes. who's uh, 20,000 kilometres away. The beauty of radio. Yeah, it is. Bringing amazing. people together. Off you go, Woody. Fantastic, guys. Um, I, I've probably just got a couple of views, I suppose, just on Arsenal, where they're at at the moment. Um, the thing that's probably the most frustrating of all, uh, Mikel Arteta, he, him being selected as a captain is the most frustrating thing because now we don't have a chance to be able to have him out of the side. And personally, I think he's the most vulnerable of all the midfielders. Obviously, we've got a lot of attacking in our side. But when it comes to him, he gets caught short when it comes on the counter-attack. He doesn't know how to chase properly without giving away a foul. And generally, more times uh, than than none sort of thing, he's actually on the receiving end of whenever we get a a goal scored against us. It's generally come from a a stuff-up that he's actually done. And it's a real frustrating thing as a supporter to sit there and, and have Wenger keep choosing him in, week in, week out, and we just needed a solid uh, defensive midfielder from day one. That, that's all we really needed. Mike, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I think a lot of people uh, raised eyebrows when the captain was named, and it wasn't Per Mertesacker, who's, who, despite a, a fairly dodgy start here, is now the leader at the cent- uh, in the centre of defence, and he's, you know, and he's a World Cup winner at boot. I, I think um, the defensive midfielder is definitely where a lot of people. We spoke to Nasri at the at the start of the season at, up at City, um, who's never never shy of giving his view on Arsenal, and he thought that defensive midfield is where, what kind of uh, what kind of separates them from being a, a title-winning team to, to what they are at the moment. So, that, and that view probably is the same as, as Woody's. Uh, it's difficult because there's there's not loads out there that you can just snap up quickly. That'll that'll be the next uh, next PLO or, or somebody like that. But there's certainly a few out there, and I can definitely see why that's a frustration for some Arsenal fans. Absolutely, thanks for your call, Woody and Mike. Hey, we always appreciate your uh, time here on the Four Diego's, and uh, we'll catch up with you again next week. See you soon, guys. Look right and look left because you don't, <laughs> we don't want you to get run over. There you go. There's Mike McGrath from the UK. Uh, the sun in the This is a fantastic house. We should do that more often. Uh, listeners out there, when we've yeah. got Mike on, yeah. give us a ring. We'll put you straight through to him and just love listening to the, the chat. The people in the suburbs here in Melbourne talking to the real experts of football on the ground in the UK. I think in this case, Woody was making a statement yeah. and was looking for Mike to reinforce the fact that he was correct. I wouldn't have... I would, you know, captains... with and. Ange Postacoglu seems to subscribe to that theory that he doesn't... Like in AFL, the captain would never get dropped. You tell me a captain that's been dropped and I can't think of one. I don't get that sense in in, the, in football, in the world game, that the captain is undroppable. Yeah, if, if the captain's not playing well, of course they're going to drop him in AFL football. They don't play players... But your best player well. is normally captain. Yeah, okay, but well, that's the same with football. I mean, you know, you've got to be a leader also. Not necessarily your best player, but a player who's not going to get dropped every second week won't be your captain. Yeah. There's no difference. Do you think Arsene Wenger would have any problems dropping Mikel Arteta if he needed to? I think uh, Wenger's the sort of bloke who sticks by his players, and which would be very frustrating to the guys on the fringes there at Arsenal. Yep. Uh, but he's shown time and time again. And by the way, those players haven't really reciprocated for him at times. I mean, they lost overnight against Southampton at home in the Kissing Your Sister Cup over there. I mean, Fedico, after winning on the weekend, it's just going to be another sa- same year again for Arsenal fans out there. Yeah, I can understand much. why Woody's a little bit frustrated. Hey, let's take a break. Now, don't forget to go to 4diegos.com and subscribe to our e-newsletter because there's going to be a whole heap of information, a lot of fun stuff, and also some fantastic prizes to give away. But uh, if you subscribe now um, and over the next uh, little while, you'll go into the draw for a, a fantastic The History of Football in Australia by um, Roy Hay and Bill Murray. So make sure you check out 4diegos.com. Let's take a break now and come back with more of the Diegos on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. I've had teams before that if you told them to go the far post, they sent mail to Albuquerque. This has been a sad coaching moment by the four Diegos. On 1116 SEN, the four Diegos. Yes, as we're coming to a close here on a uh, Wednesday night, don't forget after the Diego's, it's All Night Appetite with uh, Scott Cooney. And from 12 to 1, it's NFL Thursday with Will Batoulis. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to yes, that. Yes, my team lost. Oh, you've got a team, have you? Yeah, Broncos. I'm a big Broncos fan. 
Good, good for That's you. That's all right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the hot topic tonight was what is your greatest moment in Australian football history? And uh, I've got to say thank you for those yeah, wonderful Yeah, thank you to messages. everyone out there. Got some fantastic... Uh, uh, examples of those moments. Let's go through. Let's go through them. One of them, actually, Theo and Glenn Waverley. Les Murray's call on the Charlie <laughs> Yankos goal against Israel. Charlie Yankos side netting. It's gone in. It's, it's gone in. It's true. Yeah, yeah, Theo, I was watching that game yep. uh, in Israel, Tel Aviv, all those years ago, and I remember it was a free kick. It came out of nowhere, and I saw it go in, and Les Murray's still saying it was hitting the side netting. And it was like, it took him, it seemed like ages, but it was probably a few seconds before he realised it actually went in. And it was just a, such an important away goal, that one there. Theo, that was a great one. Here's another one. Um, I still watch our three second half goals at Germany World Cup in 06 versus Japan, our coming of age in the world game, and Hus Hiddink's uh, fist pumps that followed. Cheers, boys. Love the show. Thanks, Michael and East Bentley, and go the Bentley Greens in FFA yes. Cup. And yes. strangely, as much as we remember Tim's first goal, I love John Aloisi's last. I know the game oh, yeah. was over yeah, and yeah, the Japanese were melting away to nothing, but that showed me the epitome of his class because I actually think he's one of the most underestimated footballers. We know that he played in all the three leagues, but one of the most underestimated players. And that cl- that goal yeah. where he just slinked through. But, but he, I know he was very left-sided, no, but it was you, just great. What, he came great. on as a sub. Yes. And the minute he came on, you knew that he wanted to make a name for himself. And he just read the situation beautifully. Those Japanese... Uh, defenders they just well, dropped off they, him. They, they, but they were out on their leg. They, they, yep. They'd been shattered by Jimmy Cale's goals after leading for so long. And uh, I think Johnny Aloisi just completely read the situation beautifully. But it and he just—he was like a bully. He was. He was just—he grabbed the ball, and he made. There was no way he was going to pass that ball. He went straight for goal, and he made sure he hammered it past that hapless keeper at the time. It and was uh, it was a great goal. Rob in Footscray, one of my fondest memories was John Anastasiadis' last professional game in the NSL Grand Final versus the Wollongong Wolves when he scored against his brother Dean, yep. who was in goal even though South Melbourne lost the game. That was, that's a good one. Yep. Best footballing memory, John in Port Melbourne was watching one of NSL's great teams, Adelaide City. They were fantastic. And you know, people talk about you know, Zoran Matic, but in that team they had Sergio Melta, they had Charlie Villani, who was a great player. Um, Damien uh, Murray? No, but uh, he's coming a little bit later. Um, Joe Mullen was a great player. Yes. Al- young Alex Tobin, uh, Milan Ivanovic, those sort of players are terrific players. What about uh, Mehmet Jurakovic's last-minute uh, yes. goal against Canada to get to the next stage of the World Cup qualifiers? It's true. It was a looping header uh, out of nowhere. I remember, I remember really clearly because I had the flu, and I had to miss my club game with my pub team. And I had the flu was sitting there at home, and I thought, well, you know, I don't usually like missing these games, but uh, but I'm watching this game, and we were and Swartzer saved the penalty in that game too that got us through against Canada. That was his was that his debut I think game? It was his debut, yeah, yeah. We talked about Ned Zelich's goal against the Dutch. Still don't know how it went in from Martin in Narry Warren. Oh, Ned will tell you if you ask him. (laughs) (laughs) And there's another one. I remember Cozzy had to miss a game versus South Melbourne because of a death threat. But my my favourite game was South Melbourne 5, Sunshine George Cross 4. Frank Talia copped it uh, from the South fans, Chris in North Fitzroy. And that was at uh, that that football oval in Sunshine. Uh, um, uh, What's that one across the road from? No, no. It was the one from the... The railway station. It was no, it was not Chaplin Reserve. It was a football ground in Sunshine. Skinner Reserve. Skinner, Skinner Reserve. Reserve. They played, right. Yeah, yeah. Sunshine Georgies That's or George right. Cross used to play their games there, yeah. and they'd always get five thousand people, and the scoreline would always be like seven five. 
And uh, but they never win. Yeah. But they had some great teams, great players. Gary Hassel was playing in that team. Even Kevin Musket was uh, was coming through that uh, at that time. David Clarkson was playing. So this is great. Uh, John Markovsky's uh, delighted the faithful at yeah. uh, at uh, Connor many times, especially in the derbies. Yeah. And, and I saw John Markovsky today running a soccer clinic at Point Cook. Yeah. His kids are all dressed in blue, and he yeah. runs a. Runs a really good academy in my local area. There yeah. he was today. He was he was a, a absolutely unbelievable unbelievable talent at the yeah. time. If it was coming through now, he'd be definitely playing overseas. A very nice guy to boot. Uh, yeah. Dean in Crib Point. My best memory of Australian Socceroos is doing so well versus the Netherlands in this year's World Cup. Uh, that was a great memory for the Diego. Oh, we were there too. Sixty third minute, Dean. I think yeah. it was. I turned to you, and I can't say what we said on air, but <laughs> it was something to do with "Can you believe?" Yes. Yeah, I know what I know. we're about, what we're experiencing. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, one of the fantastic moments uh, in our Until lives Matty well. Ryan ruined it yeah, for me. Yeah, don't worry about it. That's yeah. fine. Um, <laughs> hey, thanks for your... His mum <laughs> listens now, Carlos. I know. His mum's a lovely woman. Well, that's it for this week's show, guys. And thanks for your... Uh, listenership, of course, and also your text messages and your calls. Don't forget, go to fordiegos.com, subscribe to our e-newsletter, and uh, you then go into the draw for that fantastic book from Roy Hay and Bill Murray, A History of Football in Australia. Thanks for your contribution tonight. Don't forget Scott Cooney up after the Diego's with All Night Appetite. So remember, Carlos. We have a Puerto Rican girls hang out. We'll, we'll be, be there. there. We'll review Samba Rumba and La Bamba. We'll, we'll be, be there. there. We're girls with fruit on their heads and balls at their feet. We'll, we'll be, be there. there. Where the gringos play football. We'll, we'll be, be there. there. We are the Fordiegos. Diego.